in keeping with what we have just heard sung, will you pray with me? We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would come and inhabit not only our praises, but renew our minds so that we might see your truth, that we might believe it, and that we might not merely be hearers of your word, but doers as well. O Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things in your law. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you attend with me to the reading of God's Word in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. I'll begin reading at the 27th verse, Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 27, and reading through the end of the chapter. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of God. I suppose reputations are often well-earned. Thank you, Palmer. When I was elected the stated clerk of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, the chief administrative officer of the denomination, I preached a wonderful sermon series in June of 2000. The only problem was it was one service. And, uh, <laughs> and so the, uh, you make one mistake and then you never live it down. <clears throat> I was also here in April 2014. Uh, it stood in this pulpit and, uh, if you will, flew the flag for your new found denomination, the EPC, and was pleased and very impressed to meet uh, especially uh, some of your elders. Uh, the only thing that I see has slipped backwards is the biscuits and gravy are no longer available <laughs> before the service, which may be good for Pastor Philbin. Uh, when he preaches, but um, 
I was also privileged to be one of Tim's examiners for his doctor of ministry, and so when he was called here as your pastor, I was terrifically excited for you uh, because of everything that you've learned about Tim in the, in the days since, and especially, Tyler, to be here for you and with you and Allison uh, to celebrate this occasion. This today is not a new road, but it's a crossroad. Because this is a road that Tyler has been on for many years, not just three years of seminary, but even as he testified to last night at dinner, uh, since his baptism, this is a road where he began. So Mr. and Mrs. Wilson, the, the ministry of Tyler is a fruit of your Christian nurture, and you know that and have been commended for that. And uh, so this being a cro- uh, a, 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 not a new road, but a crossroad, it's, it's not a time for something necessarily new to begin, but it is a time for focusing and reflecting and, uh, if you will, a gut check about what we're all about. Interestingly and appropriately, this text we've read is a crossroad in the life and ministry of Jesus. He's been performing miracles to give evidence of who he was as a son of God. He has been teaching about the nature of the kingdom of God. And there's nothing he says or does at this moment which is new, but yet it's a clarifying moment. Because he explains to his disciples that they are not just at a crossroad, but a crossroad that involves heading toward the cross. And so at a clarifying moment for an ordination service, I think it's appropriate that we listen to what has happened here in Mark chapter 8 to mark our own personal crossroads as well as the beginning of ordained ministry for Tyler. And so I want to briefly look at this text and then talk about what implications are for us, not just for Tyler as a newly ordained minister, but for all of us as followers of Christ. And you can see in the bulletin a brief outline, and I'll mention these things uh, as briefly as I may. First of all, we see the interrogation. The interrogation, there there are actually two questions here. The first question, Jesus says, who do do people say that I am? And his disciples give a range of possible responses, all reasonable responses. Uh, Deuteronomy talks about a prophet like Moses that would one day be raised up. Is this the prophet like Moses that Deuteronomy talked about? Or uh, uh, Malachi says that Elijah will return. Is this Elijah now returned? And uh, John the Baptist, having recently been killed by Herod, uh, is rumored perhaps to be, have been raised from the dead. So you get these answers. They're all reasonable answers. But then Jesus addresses the question. There's actually two questions, isn't there? Uh, Jesus addresses the question to his disciples. Who do people say that I am, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Uh, Depeche Mode, an alternative rock band of the 90s, recorded a song called Personal Jesus. And uh, that song is more or less about being Jesus to other people. Uh, we, need all, we need somebody to be like Jesus in our lives, and we need to be like Jesus to other people's lives. And when Johnny Cash sang that song, some people asked him, do you really mean what that song says? And Johnny Cash said this, when I sing this song, I'm singing about everyone needs forgiveness from the one who can forgive. Asking, <clears throat> or rather answering this question, who do you say that I am? is the most important question 
that any human being will ever be asked. Doesn't mean that it means what anyone else says it means. Academic professionals for decades, for centuries, have been trying to peel things away from the Jesus of the Bible so that he's harmless, inspiring, but harmless. You left a denomination where that had happened. That Jesus could be whatever you wanted him to be. But you see, Jesus isn't who we want him to be. Jesus is the Jesus who is. It's not enough to repeat other people's opinions like the disciples did. We have to answer the question, who is Jesus? And is our answer that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God? That's one thing as we cross this crossroads today that we're challenged with from this text. And we find Peter's answer. Secondly, in the revelation, you see that. Peter answers, you are the Christ, the the son of the living God. Christ is the Greek word that translates the Old Testament word Messiah. It means anointed one. The Old Testament had said that God would send his anointed son, king, to throw off foreign bondage, to restore temple worship, and deliver God's people from slavery. Psalm 2 talks about the Lord and his anointed. And Peter recognizes this from all Jesus had been teaching, all that Jesus had been doing with his miracles. He was the Messiah, the promised king. But Jesus gives a surprising response to uh, to Peter's answer, and that's the revelation. What does Jesus say? He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. The surprising revelation here is that the coronation was going to require a crucifixion. Hear this carefully. The coronation of the Messiah would require a crucifixion. Peter rebukes Jesus. Why? Well, the one thing that the crucifixion says is that we all need a savior from our sins. Uh, my mother went to the funeral of a, of a friend a few years ago, and the widow was irate after the funeral. And my mother said to her friend, the widow, why are you so mad? And she said, that song we sang, and she was referring to Amazing Grace. She said, my husband was not a wretch. But you don't you see the cross says that we all need a savior from our sins. That's perhaps part of why Peter responded as he did. But there's, there's actually two rebukes here. So that's the third thing I'd like us to see. Uh, when Jesus talked about being rejected, uh, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. That's the first rebuke. But turning and seeing his disciples, he, that is Jesus, rebuked Peter. So there are two rebukes. Uh, The first rebuke from Peter, it sounds like those famous words uttered by that little boy when Shoeless Joe Jackson came out of the Cook County Courthouse in 1921, having been arraigned for throwing the World Series the year before. Some of you have heard about the Black Sox scandal where uh, the Chicago White Sox were expected to win the World Series in 1920, but seven or eight or more players were implicated in throwing the series so that they lost, and, and there were 
criminal indictments. And so Shoeless Joe Jackson, the great hero of the little children who had watched the games through the knot holes in the outfield fence, were standing there at the courthouse along with reporters. And when Jackson came out of the courthouse, one little boy was heard to say, say it ain't so, Joe. And that's the origin of that expression. When we say, say it ain't so, we usually mean something that is beyond imagination, something so disappointing, being let down so much that it's, it's implausible. And Peter says, when Jesus announces the crucifixion, Peter says, say it ain't so, Jesus. Why? Well, there's a second reason. It was this, that, that this is not how crown was expected to come. That this was not what the people in general expected. If you've got Romans occupying your country and um, the temple worship compromised, and nothing seems right about the way the world should be, the last thing you would expect would be a conquering hero who would come to die. But this is the way of the cross. The, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is the power of God to salvation to those who believe. It's foolishness to the world, but is the, it is the wisdom of God because in the cross, God undoes all things. He turns the world upside down, and it's contrary to every expectation that we normally have. Peter was expecting someone who would come in and kick Rome and take names. And you see this even in Peter's life. In John's gospel, when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter produced his, no doubt, license, concealed, carry, personal defense device. And we're going to look at what actually he should have had in his hand, which was a cross. There's this inevitable human impulse to lay down cross and take up sword to punch back to return an insult for an insult rather than to lay down our lives like Jesus would religion and the political sphere equally participated in the death of Jesus he's rejected by the chief priests the elders and the scribes He's sentenced by Pontius Pilate. That's why we say in the Apostles' Creed, uh, uh, the, the refer reference to Pontius Pilate, religion and politics are both quite capable. In fact, the inertia is inevitable toward not by might, away from not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. But God's ways are not our ways. And so we have to reckon with the nature of the kingdom of God which requires a cross, not simply for the forgiveness of sins because it is in the cross where God undoes all human expectations about power and authority and status and privilege. So that even in 1 Corinthians 12, we're told that the weaker members are the most necessary to the body of Christ and the ones that are deserving the least honor are the ones that are to be honored the most. We see it even in Mary's prayer. In the Magnificat, you have filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. 
The cross not only speaks to us of our need for forgiveness of sins, but it speaks to us of a new order, a new way in which the church, the people of God, are the people of God in the world. Because the world needs the church to follow what comes next, which are the instructions. The last thing I'd like is to see the instructions that Jesus gives. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, Jesus' instructions are to his disciples, although the cross was necessary for their forgiveness and for the bringing of the kingdom of God, the cross was also the way in which they were to live in the world. Now, Jesus is not like some some despot who asked people to die for him. Uh, In 52 AD, there were a a group of captives and criminals who were supposed to put on a naval battle for the amusement of Emperor Claudius. And that's where that famous expression comes from, Ave Imperator Morturi Te Salutant, otherwise known as, Hail Emperor, those who are about to die salute you. You see, that's the way the world power goes. The mighty sacrificing the weak for the mighty's amusement, benefit, and enrichment. No, this is a savior who first himself laid down his life and then calls his followers to follow in the same path. Note, too, this is not a path that ends in death, but rather those who lose their life for Christ's sake will find it in the end. That it's not a counsel of despair, but rather the only way of life is to follow in the way of Christ. Think of those Thai cave boys. How many were there um, that were trapped in uh, the, the rising floods that, uh, that, that took rescuers a matter of weeks to come to them and find them? And imagine when the rescuers appeared and told those boys they were to be saved, but they, they had to go back down into the waters that had been trying to kill them. See, that's the way to life, is self-death, because self-death is the way of the cross. It's following after our Savior who died and was raised. So following in the way of the cross is the path to to resurrection. For the disciple, the cross is a way through death, not to death, and it's a way to life. So, Having considered what's happening here in this passage, let's consider some applications. First of all, for Christian ministers. Uh, An ordination service is a lot like a funeral. (laughs) Extended family and friends, uh, a lot of guests. Um, The the focus of attention is usually up front somewhere. And and the the widow... uh, the, the spouse is seated nearby. Um, Tyler has earned a Master's of Divinity. Now, what's really funny about that degree is it sounds like he's mastering God. And, you know, Pastor, we often think that way. We, 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 we tell God what to do. Uh, and it was expensive. Now, for somebody, I don't know who, it cost a lot. It cost money. It cost time. It cost opportunity because Tyler has chosen a path 
by God's leading that will lead that leads away from other paths. Allison has chosen willingly with him to follow him on the way of the cross in the particular way that ministry families do. But Tyler, it's always important to remember that the church cost Christ his blood. That's what Paul says to the elders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, that Christ has purchased his bride with his own precious blood. You also um, have to remember the order of things. Christ crossed first. And in that respect, we always need to remind ourselves before we were shepherds, we were lambs. The calling of a minister is first and foremost to be a follower of Jesus. A minister of the gospel is one who follows the Christ who died for him. And there are unique ways in which cross-bearing comes in ministry. D.A. Carson, New Testament theologian, has said the cross stands as the test and standard of all vital Christian ministry. The cross not only establishes what we are to preach, but how we are to preach. It prescribes what Christian leaders must be and how Christians must view Christian leaders. As I alluded to earlier, this is the second time Tyler has been set apart to serve the Lord. The first time was at his baptism. Christian baptism in Acts, dying and rising with Christ, and tells us, if, if, that, uh, if nothing else, that we are not our own, but we are the Lord's, and we have been bought with a price. But the main reason a minister follows the cross-shaped life, the main reason the minister follows the cross-shaped life is because he is a Christian. The way of the cross is not the calling of professional Christians. It's the calling for anyone who wants to bear the name of Christ. My favorite author of all time uh, is, came from just 100 miles or so up the road in Milledgeville, Georgia. One of my favorite characters in a Flannery O'Connor story is the little girl in Temple of the Holy, Holy Ghost. This little girl, she knows she's a sinner, but, you know, she considers the awesomeness and holiness of God, and, and at, one, at one occasion she says to herself, she knew she could never be a saint, but she thought she could be a martyr if they killed her quick. <laughs> and the call to follow Christ and bear the cross often produces that response in us. Taking up our cross, though, doesn't involve just the fantastic and the and the memorable dying to self, like even martyrs around the globe today are suffering. In fact, it's often harder for the daily little deaths to self that cross-bearing requires. The, The child who reads to a disabled sibling instead of hanging out at the mall with friends or or the daily hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute parent who sacrifices for the spiritual life of their children. There is something going on which has been called the de-churching of America. You perhaps have heard that. Uh, I think of the term the great attrition because a lot of it involves children of the church leaving the church in adulthood. And... um, there's actually a study coming out very soon which confirms my sense that the great attrition has less to do with the high cost of discipleship now 
than it does having been raised in a version of the Christian faith that has required very little cost. We need to be very suspicious when following Christ bears no expense, when we encounter no difficulties in life. This is your moment at the occasion of the ordination of Tyler to answer once again for yourself that question, who do you say? Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he the Christ, the Messiah? If I may, uh, probably the most well-known of Flannery O'Connor's stories is called A Good Man is Hard to Find. And there's a character, the main character in the story is an escaped convict who's considering doing great harm to some people. And one of those people appeals to him and says, Jesus will help you. Just ask Jesus to help you. And this, this convict, he's called the misfit, he gives one of the most eloquent descriptions of what's going on here in Mark 8 that I've ever encountered in literature. He says when he's offered Jesus as a help, he says, Jesus, Jesus. He says, it ain't fair, he says. Because if Jesus was raised from the dead, there's nothing to do but throw everything away and follow him. There's nothing else to do but throw everything away and follow Jesus if Jesus was raised from the dead. He says, if he wasn't raised from the dead, there's nothing but meanness. See, that's the choice put before us in a text like this this morning. If Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, raised on the third day, there's no sane alternative except to count everything as loss and follow him. Your commitment to Tyler or to Tim or any other pastor is not a commitment to Christ. Let this clarifying moment be a cross renewal for you. Christ himself gained his crown through a cross, and he promises crown to those who will bear the cross in this life. He asks nothing less of you than he asked of himself, and he promises nothing less than resurrection life, not only in the world to come, but every day. And Tyler, minister in the hope that the cross is a way of life in ministry as well as life in general. As you lay down your life for Allison and whatever growing family God may grant you in the future and for First Presbyterian Church saints. May we pray. Lord, who is able, who is able to lift the cross and to carry it through life except that you, you bore the cross for us. You died and rose for us. We pray your grace would overflow in our lives, but especially today in the life and ministry of Tyler Wilson so that you might be glorified in his life and through his ministry. In, in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.